2: Well, welcome to the show. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the ultimate in Pet Talk Radio. Thank you for joining us today. Well, I'm going to get right into the show with our countdown teaser. Give me a four. In segment four, we're talking with Dr. Don Soufleras the Vice President of Student Affairs for La Sala University, about how the university is using pets as a recruiting tool. If you have a son or daughter who's going off to college in the next few years, you don't want to miss this. Give me a three. three. Well, October is Health and Wellness Month, and we wanted to talk to a holistic veterinarian about how to better take care of our pets and their needs. Give me a Two. Yeah want the celebrity pet scoop we're going to give it to you before we get into flex facts talking about halloween dangers and how you can prevent them and one our number one guest is on the phone if you didn't know the u.s faces a growing feral cat problem the offspring of stray or abandoned household pets otherwise known as feral cat Their numbers are on the rise. And cities like Philadelphia are challenged by how best to tackle the problem because there are so many people and so many experts with so many opinions. Joining
3: us today is Philadelphia's WHYY arts and culture reporter, Peter Crimmins, who recently wrote on the topic. Peter, welcome to the Pet Buzz. Good to be here. So what prompted you to write about Philadelphia's
4: feral cat problem?
3: Well, I was... Literally a boots-on-the-ground scenario, I was in Philadelphia walking on the the riverfront here along the Delaware River, where there's a lot of abandoned piers that have been overgrown and somewhat dilapidated and become these sort of wildlife meccas. And I was down there, and there was a fence erected around a cat colony, and the fence had a sign on it that said uh, this fence was secured by the Delaware River Waterfront Corporation. And that piqued my interest because, uh, first of all, there's a fence around a cat colony there to protect the cat colony. And it was erected by a public agency, the Delaware River Waterfront Corporation, which is a nonprofit organization that looks to uh, redevelop the waterfront. And so there was this pretty major organization um, that, by erecting a fence, has sort of put itself into the feral cat debate by protecting the feral cat. So I thought that was a curiosity. That's what started it off.
2: Well, we read your article a while back, and we thought it was really interesting. And we thought, really, we should have you come because... It was a great way to summarize the feral cat problem. So, quickly, how is the feral cat problem handled in Philadelphia?
3: We have to make a distinction between how it's officially handled in Philadelphia and how the people who live here deal with the feral cat problem. Officially, it's kind of a mishmash. There's the Animal Control Unit, which is called the ACCT, which is the official animal control unit for the city. It's funded by the city. And they do what's, what's called TNR. They they train volunteers to do trap-neuter-release program. That's when you... You find a colony of cats, you trap them, you take them to a clinic and have them neutered, and then you bring them back to where you found them and release them. And it's been proven a, a reasonably effective way to control the cat population. But the city's parks and Rec department, they do not have an official policy on what to do with feral cats. In fact, they have a sort of conflicting idea of what to do with it. On their website, they publish an article about urging people about the dangers of caring for feral cats that they cause problems to other wildlife. And they seem to be uh, opposed to managing feral cats in that way. And yet, when I asked them, they said, we don't have a stance on feral cats. And so there's a whole battlefield of opinions.
2: Well, you know what's really uh, interesting for me? One of the things that I thought was really interesting in your article was – Not the various active groups or, uh, governmental agencies or government, you know, governmental folks. What I thought was interesting was the neighbors. You talked about two neighbors who live on the same street. One left cat food out to feed the cats. And then the other one was complaining who lived right down the street that said the cat food brings rats. But then the neighbor who left the food out said the rat, the cats are good because they kill the rats. So I thought that was kind of interesting to not only, you know, to deal with, you know, um, the cat counselor in Philadelphia, the parks department and the various groups that uh, catch and do uh, trap, neuter and release, but also the people in the neighborhood. Cause at the end of the day, I always think like the community, the real community people out there living in these neighborhoods are, are, you know, are also n- I need to have their voice.
3: Well, you know, as a medical person, what I find so interesting in these arguments by those supporters of TNR is that no one's talking about cats. And the spreading of disease or the public health effect or significance. What what about yeah. that? I did speak with um uh, a scientist at the locally here at the Academy of Natural Sciences. He was the director of ornithology or a curator of ornithology, and he did talk a lot about diseases, um, and described feral cats as disease vectors. Um, mostly he was concerned about toxoplasmosis, which is a parasite. That's communicated through cat feces. Now, when you do TNR, routinely you vaccinate the cats as, as you neuter them, as you fix them. But there is no vaccination for toxoplasmosis. And so when you send these cats back out into the wild, uh, or not even you know, into, into the city, this is a city we're talking about, with, with millions of, you know, th- this one colony that I found along the waterfront is right next to a shopping center with a garage parking lot. There was a Home Depot and a Walmart and a and a bed, breath, bed Bath and Beyond and and this guy was concerned because there's dozens of cats in, right behind the parking lot which he's considered disease vectors and 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 TNR isn't going to stop that.
2: Yeah, you know one of the things that I find so interesting is that Philadelphia's problem kind of acts as a microcosm of the worldwide feral cat problem, and I think. You know, taking that into consideration because they're, th- you know, we talked about what's going on in Australia. They're culling cats. They're killing cats because mm-hmm. for some of the same reasons, the disease. But they're also reducing specific species in that environment, like the bird people suggest here in the States. But let's talk about the overall ethical dilemma. So do you save one species over another? What do you, what do you think, Peter?
3: It's murky. I mean, um uh there is a group of people who believe uh, cats should be treated like dogs in, in that you don't let your cat run around. Uh, dogs are contained. You don't maintain dog colonies, probably because for public safety reasons, dogs can actually cause uh, physical damage to things if they're upset, much more than cats. Um, people say your pet cat should be indoors. It should not. You should not let your cat roam just like a dog. And, and other people have different feelings about what cats can and can't do, what's in the cat's nature. No one I would spoke to in Philadelphia has thought about culling cats by view in Australia or New Zealand. That was off the table for everyone I spoke to, but, but <laughs> there was very little consensus about what the best thing to do for the cats is. A lot of the people who are opposed to feral cats actually keep cats as pets themselves. They're not anti cat They just see a, a vast environmental hazard in having cats running free. Yeah, and I wonder what effect it'll have with the growing homeless population. But, Peter, that's another issue to talk about. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's good to be here. Thanks for letting me join. you.
2: Yeah. Well, everyone, that was Peter Crimmins, the arts and cultural reporter for WHYY discussing feral cats and how the feral cat situation in Philadelphia represents a worldwide problem. We are going to post his article up on our social media channels and then you can comment. Tell us what you think. We always want to know what you think and we'd love to hear from you. Up next guess which celebrity offered a $10,000 reward for her chicken.
1: You are listening to The Pet Buzz with pet trendologist Charlotte Reed and veterinarian Dr. Michael Fleck. We would love to communicate with you via social media. Use the Pet Buzz social media channels on Twitter and Facebook to make a comment or ask a question. Post a picture of your pet on Instagram and tell us about his or her unique personality. You can also write to us at team at thepetbuzz.com. For more information about our show, our guests, and buzzworthy freebies, visit us at thepetbuzz.com.
2: So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human, and she's got this little toy she's always playing with. All day long. Tap, 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 tap. Bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up. Like magic.
0: Humans have cool toys.
5: A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org.
2: I'm petrondologist Charlotte Reed and research shows walking at least a half an hour every day can reduce a person's risk for heart disease and other serious illnesses. So regular walking is a great way to live a long and happy life. For most dogs, an hour of physical activity each day is necessary and will help them lead healthier lives free of disease. Walking a dog does not only have a physical benefit there are plenty of psychological benefits for both the dog and the owner. There are so many smells, sights and sounds in the outdoors that a dog is mentally stimulated every time he or she walks out the front door. Taking a dog on a walk will also help to solidify the strong bond between you and your animal. Give your dog some positive attention by doing what he or she loves. Take your dog out for a neighborhood walk today. When your doctor recommended omega fatty acids as a daily supplement, he told you that they promoted better heart,
5: brain, skin, joint, and immune system health. Well, doesn't it make sense for your pet to have the same health benefits? EpiPet Whole Fish Treat, an all-natural smoked
3: fish supplement, is 100% bioavailable, bringing your pets the nutrients they need
2: to keep them healthy and happy.
0: We first heard about EpiPet at our local rescue shelter, where our family adopted Lucy, a 10-year-old yellow lab. She was in tough shape, but we noticed within just a few days how soft and thick her coat was getting. She has more energy now, loves to chase her favorite tennis ball, and most importantly, how happy and healthy Lucy is now. We could not be happier. Thanks, Thanks Epi Epi pet. pet.
1: To order better pet health for your dog or cat, just
4: visit epi-pet.com. That's epi-pet.com.
2: For joining us on the Pet Buzz this morning. This show is hosted by the Dynamic Pet Duo, and I'm Petrendologist Charlotte Reed. And it's time for the Celebrity Pet Dish. You know, fashion designer Tori Birch lost her chicken. Well, chicken is a miniature poodle and Birch offered a hefty $10,000 reward for the dog's safe return home. Burch shared a missing dog poster to Instagram last Tuesday saying that the reward will be given. No questions asked. The poster described seven-month-old chicken as a brown miniature poodle weighing about eight pounds. The seven-month-old... Poodle got spooked Sunday night and ran off while the fashion mogul was walking her at East 62nd Street and Park Avenue in Manhattan. Found that was according to a police source who told that to the New York Post. Well, chicken is microchipped and Birch's rep circulated surveillance images of a man and a woman who were seen holding the pup captured outside of the Louis Vuitton store at East 57th Street and Fifth Avenue. Investigators did not want to publicly release the surveillance images of the couple because, of course, they were not being accused of a crime. They probably just found the dog wandering in the street. But the same couple ultimately alerted authorities and returned the dog. That's what police sources confirmed on Wednesday, adding that Birch didn't know the couple. They, she didn't know the two people. The people who had the dog connected with the squad and they arranged a meetup. It's not really clear if the reward was exchanged. Well, anyway, Birch revealed the good news last Wednesday in an Instagram post that she wanted to thank everyone for the incredible support helping find the family's puppy chicken. She wrote that the puppy was home safe. And that she appreciated everyone who helped get the message out on social media and in the news media. And a very special thanks to the family who found and cared for Chicken and brought her home. I always love a happy ending, especially when yummy chicken was found. But one question, Tori why is your dog named Chicken? Okay, let's move on to Flex Facts.
3: Welcome to just the facts. Just the facts.
4: Fact or fiction? Just the facts, man.
1: You want answers. I want the truth.
4: This gonna take long. You got the time.
2: Now, although we've covered Halloween in last week's show, and if you've missed any portion of the show, go to the website or the streaming channels and listen to it. But you know, one of the things that I, and and, and in that show, just so you know, we talked about costumes, black hats, and how to reduce diseases at dog events. But I want to review some Halloween safety tips with you. So as you know, Halloween can be the spookiest time of the year, but keeping your pet safe doesn't need to be tricky. So I'm going to share some common sense precautions to keep your pets happy and healthy so you'll just be prepared so you want to be careful with costumes for some pets wearing a costume can cause undue stress you don't want to put your dog or cat in a costume unless you know he or she loves it and if you do dress up your pet for halloween make sure the costume does not limit his or her ability to move to be able to see to be able to breathe bark or meow check the costumes carefully for small dangling or easily chewed pieces that can present a choking hazard ill fitting outfits can get twisted or they can just lead to injury so make sure you're careful with those costumes you also want to have your pet try on the costume before the big night if he or she seems distressed or shows abnormal behavior consider letting him go all natural or let him or her sport a festive bandana and a really cool leash and collar okay So you want to make sure your pets are calm and easily identifiable. So Halloween always brings a flurry of activity with visitors arriving at the door. And with so many strangers, they can be scary or stress out your pet. And even the most social dogs or cats should be kept in a separate room away from the front door during peak trick-or-treating hours while opening the door for guests. Be sure that your dog or cat doesn't dart outside. That's why I call them Door dashers and always make sure your pet is wearing proper identification and that it has your up to date cell phone information. Okay, so that way, if any reason he or she does escape, a collar with an ID tag and a microchip can definitely be life saving for a lost pet. And also, Hey, if I decorated my house, you probably decorated your house. So watch out for the decorations and keep the wires out of pet's reach. While a carved jack-o'-lantern is certainly festive, pets can easily knock over a lit pumpkin and start a fire. That's why it's important to use those battery-operated lighters, like the fake candles. Curious cats are especially interested in the flickering flame, and they might pull out their paw and it might get burnt. So popular Halloween plants such as pumpkins and decorative corn are considered relatively non-toxic, but you don't want to produce any stomach discomfort in pets who might nibble on them. And besides that, you don't want a big vet bill. Okay. You want to stash the treats. The candy bowl is for trick-or-treaters and not for Fido and Fluffy. Several popular Halloween traits are toxic to pets. Chocolate, of course, in any forms, especially dark or baking chocolate, can be dangerous for cats and dogs. And sugar-free candies containing sugar-free substitute like xylenol can be a serious problem. If you suspect that your pet has ingested something toxic, call your veterinarian or the ASP. Poison Control Center at 888-426-4435 i will going to give you that number one more time ASPCA Poison Control Center is 888-426-4435 Call immediately Well, that's all the facts for the week oh, More Pet Buzz very soon Bet you can't wait for my I likey of the week
0: So, I'm Rex, and
5: normally I'm pretty nervous about having to go see the vet, but this Dr. Fleck?
1: He seems like he'd be okay. Like He might even give me an extra treat if I let him rub my belly.
0: My name is Michelle Schaefer, I'm the mom of three boys, and I'm from Haddonfield and North Wildwood, New Jersey. I met Aladdin through my work with Lilo's Promise Animal Rescue, and I foster the emaciated dogs that come into our program. Aladdin came to us, he had been dumped at the side of the road. He weighed about 18 pounds. He had broken bones, other wounds, and he was missing 12 teeth. He was the worst abuse case I had ever seen. The most moving experience that I've had while working with Aladdin were when we were first responders at the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, Florida. And Aladdin usually works off leash. He was on leash that night, and he led me over to a very specific person, and here that man had been in the nightclub the night of the shootings. He and Aladdin shared a very special moment that really made me cry. Aladdin has changed the way I see the world in a million different ways. The main thing is to treat people with kindness and compassion. My name is Michelle Schaefer, and Aladdin and I are individuals.
2: I'm pet expert Charlotte Reed, and I want to remind you how important it is to protect your pet against fleas, ticks, and mosquitoes with preventative tablets and topicals. By giving your dogs and cats preventative meds throughout the year, you are protecting your pet from Lyme disease, heartworm, flea allergies, worms, and more, causing unwanted and costly vet bills. Most importantly, these parasites can infiltrate your home, causing you and your family's health to be compromised. Remember, healthy pet Healthy you.
3: Hey, my name is Rory Diamond. I am the CEO of Canines for Warriors. We are the nation's largest provider of service dogs for disabled American veterans. And we are asking everyone to support Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Persons Act, House Bill 3130. Absolutely critical to do this. we require the VA to help organizations like Canines for Warriors serve our disabled veterans with incredible, life-saving service dogs and to recover from post-traumatic stress. Please contact a member of Congress to support Puppies Assisting Wounded Service Persons Act. House Bill
1: 3130.
5: Does your pet have dry, flaky, and itchy skin? Do you find yourself visiting the veterinarian repeatedly because Fido or Fluffy has skin allergies or ear infections?
0: I love animals and want my pets to be healthy. So I asked our vet who recommended EpiPet Ear Cleaner. It's super simple and it even smells good. Every week I use it on both my dog and my cat to gently remove wax and debris. I even told my friend Aiden to try EpiPet and his dog Sophie, who always had red ears. But not anymore. Now we both have happy and healthy pets. Thanks, EpiPet.
5: Developed by a veterinarian, EpiPet is a revolutionary, high-performance skin and ear care product line made with the finest natural ingredients. EpiPet, for you and your pet, means better pet health. For more information, visit epi-pet.com.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the Pet Buzz, the best in pet talk radio. I'm Pet Charlotte Reed. And now for my I Likey of the Week. That's the way That's
3: the way I like it. It's genius. I like it. it. It's the die for I like
2: it. Well, October is National Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Even for dogs, mammary or breast tumors are common in female dogs, but rare in male dogs and cats. Surgical removal is best recommended for most mammary tumors. And I want you to know the stats. So of dogs, poodles, dachshund, and spaniels are often most affected in cats, Siamese, or other oriental or Asian breeds. And domestic shorthair are most often affected in dogs. Obesity at a young age is a risk factor. Mammary tumors are more common in female dogs that are either Not spayed or were spayed after the age of two years old. The risk of a dog developing a mammary tumor is 0.5% if spayed before their first heat. That's about six months of age. 8% after their first heat and 26% after their second heat. Cats spayed before six months of age have seven times reduced risk of developing mammary cancer and spaying at any age and reduces the risk of mammary tumors by 40% in cats. Wow. Wow. More than a quarter of the unspayed female dogs will develop mammary tumors during their lifetime. The risk is much lower for spayed female dogs, male dogs, and cats of either gender. In female dogs, 50% of mammary tumors are benign and 50% are malignant. However, few of the malignant mammary tumors are fatal. In contrast, over 85% of mammary tumors in cats are malignant, and most of these have an aggressive biologic behavior. Okay, to show my support for breast cancer awareness in people and pets, my dogs are sporting the Frenchie's store. I love Tata's cooling bandana in which all of the proceeds benefit breast cancer. So depending on where you live and what the temperature is, either soak it and wring it out or don't. The cooling light mesh fabric will stay cold for hours. One size fits all. The heart symbol, which is made out of a French bulldog's head with the ears, And of course, a pair of breasts. So it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. So of course, the bandana is pink. And once again, like I said, all proceeds raised from the bandana visit Breast Cancer. So check out the Frenchie store. I'm going to make sure I put that bandana on our social media channels so that you can see it. Okay, so let's move into our next interview. Just so you know, October is National Pet Wellness Month. During this month, I want to take a look at more holistic approaches to pet care. So joining us today is veterinarian Dr. Neil Sivala, the owner of Dancing Paws Animal Wellness Center, an integrative veterinary practice in Northeast Ohio. He is also the president of the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association. Thank you so much and welcome to the Pet Buzz, Dr. Sivala. Nice to be here. Before we get started, it's my understanding that you have recently finished a program, a Zen Buddhist ministry, as well as Korean and Vietnamese Zen traditions programs. So do you incorporate these philosophies into your practice when you treat animals? And if so, how do you do it?
4: Sure, absolutely. Um, you know, in our practice, we see a lot of geriatric patients, and so um, there's a lot of end-of-life decisions that need to be made and quality-of-life decisions, and so um, we just it's able to help me to help those pets the best I can and also their people.
2: What is holistic veterinary medicine, for those of of us who don't know?
4: Well, just by its basic definition, holistic medicine is looking at, uh, in our case, the the pet or the animal, looking at their whole existence rather than a specific disease, and also looking at it in the context of their environment. So uh, are they in an environment with other pets? What is their relationship to their environment and to their people?
2: Interesting. So how can a pet and its owner benefit from working with a holistic uh, veterinarian practitioner?
4: Well, Charlotte, I mean, initially, what we did was termed alternative, but really the way we feel that the definition has changed now to integrative, um, that we can offer some things, some treatments that traditional medicine can't, and that we can complement those treatments. So we can, you know, help pets deal better with the effects of uh, treatment for cancer or for cancer or for other diseases, uh, we, can, we can address some things that traditional medicine can't.
2: Okay, so let's talk about that integrative approach versus the kind of, I guess you could say, conventional uh, veterinarian. So talk a little bit about the differences and, and maybe how you treat some of the, uh, some of the, I guess, problems that we see more pets are having.
4: You know, the basis for a lot of what we do, uh, depending on the practitioner, would be nutrition, uh, looking at diet and how that plays into their disease, other um, effects of the environment, whether there are chemicals involved, that sort of thing. Um, You know, the things that we do, we uh, counsel people on on judicious use of vaccines and surgery and uh, medication. So uh, we may be able to sometimes complement or in some cases, replace medication that's being used if that perhaps those medications haven't worked for the pet um, or if the medications are helping the pet, but uh, the pet's system can't tolerate them any longer.
2: So would that be with um, herbs, for example?
4: Exactly, yes.
2: Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of really interesting in itself. I mean, you must have a whole supply of herbs at your practice.
4: Yes. Yes, we do. We try to cover... Uh, Cover every possibility, and and also our suppliers are really good. So if if we need something, we can get it quickly.
2: Yeah, I can't remember the last time a veterinarian ever spoke to me about what my food choices were for my pets. So I think that's also a really big component because you know they always say we are what we eat. Correct?
4: That's exactly right. Yeah, we don't get a lot of that. Still, uh, veterinary students don't get a lot of that in their in their training, and so it's it's really incumbent upon us to. Come more knowledgeable and to offer our um, our clients the the best options for uh, for, for feeding their pet uh, based on their needs and, and of course their pocketbook.
2: I guess according to the American Obesity Association, American pets are fat like their owners, so that's one issue that it's really hard to tackle, especially when Americans are fat and they don't even want to, and they're resistant to tackle that problem for themselves. So how do we go, I guess in your case, if I were to bring my pet in, how do we tackle that issue together?
4: Well, first we, we take a look at the pet's condition, their body weight, and whether they're carrying extra weight, talk about what sort of food you're feeding, uh, what sort of exercise the pet is getting, and just maybe try to make some changes based on Again, a lot of times in our practice it's based on number of pets in the household. You know, we have a, a kind of a gold standard maybe diet we'd recommend for that pet, but maybe we have to scale it back because there are four or five other pets in the household and, and we just take all of those factors in, into consideration and come up with, you know, whether it's plan A, B, or C and we'll take a hard look at the exact items they're being fed, the quality of that food as well as the volume.
2: So let's talk about some of the treatments, because I know people are always curious. um, And I know you specialize in chiropractic. Is that correct?
5: Well,
4: that's one of the things we do here, yes. Uh, In our practice, we do chiropractic. We do acupuncture. uh, We do herbs uh, as well. We do some rehabilitation. uh, We use essential oils. Other practitioners uh, use homeopathy um, and other forms of holistic care.
2: So I think it would be really exciting for our first-time pet owner to come to you, or any pet owner actually, and just see how the approaches are different. So do you work with other quote unquote conventional veterinarians when treating a pet as well, especially one maybe who has cancer?
4: Definitely. So, you know, the the more modern approach to what we do is, is integrative, like I mentioned earlier. And so in my office, I'm the only practitioner and we only do these um, these holistic therapies. So I consider myself a part of the part of the animals healthcare team. And so, you know, we work in concert with their, um, with their primary care veterinarian, with any specialists they might be seeing. So your example of a pet with cancer, you know, maybe we're coordinating with the oncologist, we're coordinating with their primary care veterinarian. Maybe they have uh, an eye problem as well, if it's an aged pet, you know, we've got the ophthalmologist involved. So yeah, we, we, we definitely work with the other veterinarians that are involved in the animals care.
2: Great. Well, Dr. Savula, thank you so much for joining us today and talking about this integrative approach to veterinary medicine. I think it sounds fascinating. And to learn more about you, tell us where we can go. What's your website?
4: Uh, dancingpawsawc.com. So that's Dancing Paws Animal Wellness Center.com.
2: Great. Well, also to learn more about holistic veterinary medicine, visit the American Holistic Veterinary Medical Association at a H V M A dot Stay tuned, we'll be back in a buzzworthy moment.
4: I want to be a contender. I want a warm belly to sleep on.
1: A big house. How do I look? Do do I look good?
4: I want to play hard.
2: My nails done. Once a month.
3: I want.
4: I want. I want a home. I just want a home. I want someone to love.
3: Last year, more than 30,000 companion animals came to us without homes. 20,000 of them were felines. Let's make some homes.
5: A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt
2: i'm petrondologist charlotte reed and just so you know we're urban suburban and country well it's time for our latest and greatest in the news and now
5: pet buzz news from around the globe
2: I'm going to talk about some Uber today. Uber has definitely been in the news a lot in the past years for not some good things. But now I want to report about their newest initiative, which is all good. Uber is rolling out a new feature called Uber Pet for ride sharers who want to bring a furry friend on their journey That's what the company announced on Wednesday. This new experimental feature will be available in just seven cities. Starting October 16th, riders will be able to choose the Uber Pet feature from the ride selection screen. And there'll be a surcharge tacked on, which is going to be about $3 to $5, which will be applied to the riders pricing. I don't really know what determines the exact amount of the fee. It's kind of unclear, but it probably has to do with size. And the idea behind the rollout, specifically pet related, is because it allows for better communication and Uber wants fewer animal related cancellations. So Uber Pet will be available in Philly. Austin, Denver, Nashville, Minneapolis, St. Paul, Phoenix, and Tampa Bay. Once again, starting on the 16th, I think I'm going to take my pet for an Uber ride. Okay, well, I've been told our next guest is on the phone, so let's move forward. A recent trend on college campuses is to offer opportunities to interact with dogs and other animals as a way to relieve stress and help individuals deal with anxiety as well as depression. We are pleased to announce that LaSalle University is welcoming dogs to campus as pets with their owners. Joining us today to talk about pets at the La Salle University's Philly campus is Dr. Don Souffleras, Vice President of Student Affairs. Dr. Dawn, thank you so much for joining us on the Peppas today. I'm so, oh, glad so happy
5: to be on the show. Thank you.
2: So although service and emotional support dogs are on campus, what prompted La Salle University to admit pets to campus with their owners?
5: Well, we had seen a large number of emotional support, animals in general, coming to campus. Um, And we had also had for a number of years um, faculty and staff on certain days bringing their dogs to campus as sort of a pet therapy kind of program for our students during high stress times. And what we saw over and over is how much the students really, really related to having dogs on campus, many of them talking about how much they wish that they were able to bring their pet to campus, and how much better they felt in terms of stress levels and focus and feeling like campus was more like home. And so that made us stop and say, why couldn't we make that happen at the university, and so we started investigating what it would be like to have a dog-friendly residence hall on campus. And uh, it really took off from there. And
2: Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about the benefits of having dogs on campus. I know when exams are coming or when those critical days are coming, it's a nice idea. It's a great idea. It makes students feel much better to have a dog that they can pet and they can cuddle with and they can enjoy. But what are some of the other benefits that you see?
5: We are trying to teach our students how to be very independent, how to be autonomous, how to take care of themselves, how to take care of others as part of our mission. And so having a pet on campus, particularly a dog, gives students some structure, um, gives students the opportunity to care for something else other than just themselves. It is also an opportunity for many of our students to interact with other students because quite often we will see students who are walking their dog across campus and other students will come up to them and say, Hi, can I meet your dog or what's your name? And it has become an opportunity for students
2: to be even more social with one another. Fantastic. Well, if you've just joined us, I'm talking with Dr. Don Soufleras, Vice President of Student Affairs, about dogs on the LaSalle University's Philly campus. So tell us about the canine requirements for the dogs.
5: So, um, we did, again, we did a lot of research to figure out what would be best, remembering that this is a residence hall, and so they are rooms that are on the smaller side, um, and there is a, a pretty decent-sized lounge that is dog-friendly that is on the first floor of the building. We also created a small dog park in a, an area behind the building that is completely encased so that a dog can run free back there, but we wanted to be thoughtful about size, given that it is a residence hall, and so we are asking for dogs uh, between 30 and 40 pounds, so under 40 pounds, so smaller breeds. We are asking for dogs that are one year and older, so that they are already trained, They obviously have to have all of their immunizations and a checkup. And we actually send to the student what the city of Philadelphia requires for dogs so that we're in compliance with the city of Philadelphia with rabies shots and everything else. And there are some breeds that we have said no to because they are larger breeds. And also they slobber all over the walls. Well, they do slobber a little bit, but I will tell you, we also rolled out a new mascot, or we call a pup scot, um, which is Angus the Explorer, which is a bulldog, and he has been donated to us by one of our trustees, and he lives in that hall, too, and he will be at all of our sporting events this year and uh, has already been at some of our admissions open houses, and he does slobber and give you lots of slobbery kisses, but we, we, we're okay with the slobbering. But Angus's is is not needing lots of running space like Mm -hmm. a St. Bernard or a Newfoundland or those really larger breeds. And so we'll take the slobbering.
2: Okay. So the new residence hall. So I understand um, you have a dog park there. Now, I heard you have a dog shower for the dogs, too. Is that true? We do. We have a dog bath and shower. We took one of
5: the um, utility closets that had running water already in it, and um, with some funding and support from the from Purina, they helped us fund um, the dog park and some of the uh, amenities within the dog-friendly lounge, and then part of the support made a dog bath and shower. So it's on the first floor, so as the dogs come in, the residents can go and and bathe the dog, give them a shower and a bath, keep them nice and clean, and make it easier. We just thought that would be far better than having the students try and shower and bathe the dogs in the sinks in the (laughs) residence hall bathroom. So we thought, let's be smart about this. What would we want to have? And so our facilities worked with us and installed a dog bath and shower.
2: I think that's a great idea, and I'm going to even ask you to send me a picture of that So I can put it on our social media channel so everyone can see it. Okay. I think it sounds like a great, great program. And I think this is going to make an excellent recruiting tool. What do you think?
5: Oh, I do too. Our admissions counselors are fired up that they get to go out now for next year's fall incoming class and are able to talk about this. They were waiting this year for it to open, and they are on the road already, and they have started those conversations and already are hearing some great feedback. And our first open house of prospective students was two weekends ago, and Angus, our bulldog mascot, walked down the aisle to cheers from parents Parents and prospective students so we think this is going to be something that will be very memorable about LaSalle as students are looking for where they're going to go to college.
2: Well hot dog I think it sounds like an excellent program. <laughs> I have to tell you I go to the National Dog Show every year and I always interview David Fry who's a good friend of mine as, oh, well, yes. as well as John O'Hurley and he's like a big brother to me Wayne Ferguson so I'm going to definitely stop by in a probably about I'm going to say less than two months because I want to come by and see the dog-friendly campus at LaSalle. Oh, please do. We would love to have you stop by.
5: And uh, many of us go to the National Dog Show because we know all of those folks through our Purina connection. And it's really, it's a big deal in Philadelphia that we are the home of the National Dog Show. And our students wait for that every year because not only does Purina um, give away tickets to that so our students can go mm-hmm. to the dog show which is really fun and you know when we have the little show on our campus and the agility dogs are jumping through hoops and fences it's just it's a great time so we would love to have you please come visit
2: thank you so much well everyone that was Dr. Don Soufleras the vice president of student affairs at La Salle University talking about having dogs, living on campus, on the Philly campus's pets. And to learn more about this program, this unique and special program, visit lasalle.edu. Well, there's the sound. It's always too soon and we got to wrap the show. But before we go, we want to give you a preview for next week's show. Next week, we're talking exotic pets the purple leash initiative which brings awareness to domestic violence and animals in those situations as well as we're going to be talking about bonding with cats we got to give special thanks to Peter Crimmins Dr Savula and Dr Don Souflaris and, of course, we must thank our sponsors, the Animal Medical Center of Brighton and EpiPet, making better skin coat and ear care products for healthier pets everywhere. Now, if you have a question, write us at, team at thepetbuzz.com. We'll cover it on next week's show. And if you've missed any portion of this show, visit our social media channels as well as our favorite streaming channels and listen to the link podcast on Monday morning. But most importantly, remember, we're here each week to help you take better care of your pets Peace out and pet love. Goodbye.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Pet Buzz. The Pet Buzz is hosted by the dynamic pet duo, pet trendologist Charlotte Reed, and Dr. Michael Fleck. Tune in each week for the latest 411 on everything pet related. Visit our website at www.thepetbuzz.com. Learn more about us, the show, and our guests. My
4: name is Mike Ruiz, and I was born and raised in Montreal, Canada, and now I live in New Jersey. The thing that made me fall in love with Oliver was the very first time I met him. He was being fostered by a friend of mine whom I was visiting. I opened the door to my friend's house, and Oliver came running up to me, sat at my feet, and looked up at me with the most beautiful, big, brown, soulful eyes. And within 24 hours, I had filled out all the paperwork, and Oliver was my son. Sadly, I lost Oliver in August of 2018. I wanted to commemorate him in a way that was very very meaningful. So I got this tattoo of him. It's just such an amazing thing. Knowing that I carry him in my heart, I now carry him on my arm. My name is Mike Ruiz and Oliver and I are individuals.